Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmel. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. And this is the serialisation of 13th, the second novel in the Pagamon C series. And we're into chapter 5, Persuasion. Um, and so this is a, a Wes heavy chapter. So content warnings for this one. Um, there's some derealization and a little bit of depersonalization in Wes's point of view. Um, there's a threat against partners. Um, so a, a, an elder in the family threatens um, Wes's um, girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, you have a very toxic controlling family dynamic. You have the vote in this one where they are actually voting whether or not to kill Katie. Um, and that includes her dad. You have a very cold relationship um, between Wes and his dad, and you have that in Wesley's point of view, even though there's no interaction because they're estranged. Um, and you have um, Wesley self-harming as well by punching himself in the face multiple times. Um, you also get to find out um, why Uncle Parry is experimenting on Wes and what that is about and where that comes from. Um, so there's all of this. It's quite a, a dense kind of chapter for, for, for Wes um, and it's a bit heavy and the tone is quite sad um, and quite... Um, it's quite... Yeah, there there is some funny moments in it. There's some sarcasm and some one-liners, but the tone overall is quite um, serious. So bearing in mind the subject matter, if that's something that's going to bother you, um, just be aware that that's what's coming up and uh, discretion is advised. If that's the kind of family trauma that will upset you. Chapter 5. Persuasion. If there is anything disagreeable going on, men are always sure to get out of it. Jane Austen. Persuasion. 13th of January. Wes flopped back against his pillows, ruffling his hair, building up the energy to roll out of bed. It was too late for breakfast. Brunch was pushing it. Late lunch? Hugo usually made him get up at a reasonable hour, averting his eyes before Wes put his fabric mask on, but Charlie had taken him out to get to the bottom of whatever was going on. She texted three times to make sure he was awake. Each time he'd lied and gone back to sleep. When she challenged him on what the weather was like outside, he'd gotten Siri to answer her and sent back the reply without lifting the blinds. The apartment was nearly silent. It wouldn't be if Katie was staying with them. That thought came out of nowhere, and he rubbed his face to erase it. She was fine. Probably. For a moment, staring at the familiar ceiling, he felt strangely detached, as if he'd never been in that bedroom before. The bed, still comfortable, was an island of familiarity in an alien capsule. He was almost convinced there was nothing outside the blinds at all, nothing beyond the door, that he would get out of bed and fall into a blinding white void that would swallow him whole. He sat up as his phone rang. Yeah? Wesley! A wet voice, a slick voice, grinding his name like a wave of a shingle. He pulled the phone away from his ear and checked the display. Nothing. He hated it when the elders did that. Uncle Marcus? Didn't wake you, did I? Wes flushed and threw the covers off. His feet hit the rug, 
not the abyss, and he curled his toes into the thick fibres, grounding himself. "'I'd done as you asked, stayed out of the way, been helpful to Uncle Barry. What do you want?' He rubbed the back of his neck, taking a few heavy steps to the door. Even though he knew it would open into the vestry and the large lounge, when it did, he was relieved. An unsettling feeling clung to him with shadowy fingers. "'Where's your sister?' Wes fought the sudden urge to be sick, gorge rising on an empty stomach. He swallowed a few times, shaking his head. I... I don't know. Bollocks, where is she? He didn't mean to blurt it out, but Uncle Marcus wasn't the kind of man you played silly buggers with. Ricky's got her. He winced as it came out. What's he done that for? Wes stumbled to the bathroom, the white porcelain his enemy, inviting the nausea to return. He stumbled out again, disorientated. "'I don't know. She she wanted to stay here with me for a bit. She's upset with Mum and Dad, and I think Ricky doesn't want her leaving, so she's staying with him for a bit. He said she's fine.' "'Well, that's a problem.' There was a sticky, watery suck, Uncle Marcus smacking his tusked lips. "'He don't like us, you're Richard.' "'You're Richard.' Wes made it to the sofa and flopped down, not prepared to take that on. He's not... Oh, none to do with you, is he? Only made you rich, none else. We never needed a soothsayer in my day, made our own fortunes, worked hard. This was a boring speech, one that Wes and his generation had sat through from time immemorial and was always given by hypocrites who would consult Ricky themselves in a heartbeat if the circumstances were right. Uncle Marcus wasn't one of those, though. He was an upright man of his word, straightforward and plain speaking, exactly what they wanted in the head of the family. And a foreman, of course, a true pedigree, inbred from the very first spawning of Eileen Foreman Lee Pendle. Uncle Marcus was certainly the foremost man of his inward-looking, inward-loving branch. Wes eyed the gleaming surface of the breakfast bar and willed someone to appear, but the apartment was echoingly empty, and the only company was on the end of the phone. "'He'll be filling her head with all sorts of nonsense,' Uncle Marcus complained. "'You sure he's got her?' "'Positive.' Wes wondered what Ricky had done to hide her away so well. "'I can't do anything about it. You know we don't get on.' bollocks you can talk the hind leg off a donkey you got enough sweet talk in you to get around the likes of her and him if you got the mind wes didn't like where this was going his stomach churned as watery as uncle marcus's voice why are you calling me there was a pause as much as it pains me i think we're going to need you no you really don't the weird feeling was fading disintegrating around him like the last tendrils of a dream the sofa was solid charlie's framed art brightening his minimalist world i could get your little pets any time i like and wring their necks like a couple of chickens uncle marcus snapped walrus boom ringing in wes's ear your uncle david's boys can grab em off the streets like a pro you know what he's like enough meat on your boy for a good family roast i'd say and the girl's not up to much but i doubt she ever was leave them alone Wes snapped, flinging his lanky frame off the cushions and onto his feet. Don't you bleed in dare. Ah, there we are. I could have opened with that, but I was trying to be nice. Uncle Marcus's tone was level, not mocking, with an underlying fist-clenching note of pity. Wes didn't even realise he'd bored up his free hand until he became aware his arm was shaking, locked impotently by his side. 
This ain't a negotiation, Wesley. I'm trying to be nice to you on account of your dear old dad, who's always been a good friend of the foreman's. Uncle Marcus chuckled and hate coursed slick through Wes, adhering to every part of him. Ian Porter was a slippery bastard. Turn his own kids in if it benefited him. Wes remembered him at the vote, not looking his way but facing forwards, eyes straight ahead, raising his hand to be counted as the family decided on Katie's fate. That afternoon had left a bitter taste in his mouth. Uncle Marcus was still talking, bullish old bugger, still in the same level, reasonable tone. You're closest to the girl, so it has to be you. I was hoping you'd say she was there with you, then we could have picked her up no bother. The boys would be in and out in a few minutes. If we're not allowed to kill her, we could at least keep her somewhere out of the way. Try and put the changes off for a few years. It's painful, but if she'd agree to that, Richard can hardly complain. Wes swallowed, tensing. You want me to go get her out of Ricky's place? Where's he even living these days? If it's in that old house, I can't set foot there. No, but you know the girl who bought it. Uncle Marcus sounded like he was moving around in his kitchen. There was a faint seagull ruckus in the background, a radio, the sound of Auntie Ida monologuing in a shrill vein of complaint at a distance, and something that sounded like, What do you want for dinner? But... Go and get your sister away from that little prick before he gets control of her list, if that's even possible. Or it's curtains for your little playmates. Off you go. There's a good boy. You're scared of him, Wes realised, wondering how he could use that, and if Ricky appreciated the power he wielded over the elders. I'll drive down this week. I'm not promising anything. Leave Charlie and Hugo alone. Oh, and Wesley... Maybe you ought to tell your Catherine exactly how her esteemed grandmother bit the dust. Wes blinked. She... what? How did... I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell her. The family had agreed not to tell Katie that their newfound deity incarnate had killed Beverly Wend. She might put him on the list, and then they'd be down a soothsayer and moneymaker... Some factions wanted her to know in order to force a battle royal, which, they hoped, would end in Katie's defeat. Uncle Marcus was evidently hoping for the opposite, or that they'd destroy each other. Well, I wouldn't want her to hear it from me, of course. People might think I'm biased. Head of the family and all that. Everyone knows what I think about our soothsayer, especially since he cost me an eye. God knows what he does with them. Oh, right, so you want me to break it to her? Thanks. If Katie put the soothsayer on the list and killed off the family cash cow, Wes's remaining sympathetic relations would turn against him faster than people forgot his face. Can she even kill him? Doesn't he think he's some sort of god now? What if he finds out I told her? I couldn't take him before. Wes paced, chest tight. I'm far from his biggest fan, but I'd rather fuck him than fight him, if you know what I mean. You made your bed, you bloody well lie in it. Uncle Marcus's voice dropped and resonated like a rutting sea lion. I expect you back by this time tomorrow. I'm not unreasonable. Send Catherine a message, tell her to meet you, and drive the wedge in deep. You understand? I understand. Wes itched to hang up on him, but Uncle Marcus cut over his terse goodbye and started talking to Auntie Ida about whether the carrots are past their best and hung up on him mid-discussion. Wes was left dismissed and forgotten, alone in the penthouse, desperately wishing Hugo and Charlie had woken him up and taken him out with them. But he'd have been useless to them too, 
and Hugo was going to dump him and move away somewhere. There'd be a day when Charlie would get sick of him, lock him up in a cupboard like a first-aid box, cut his head off and keep it in the fridge where she could stare at his face for as long as she needed. He found himself sniggering at that image, although it wasn't funny. He flopped back on the sofa, chuckling to himself and punching his temples with hard, bony knuckles. He punched his own face over and over, gritting his teeth with every impact and rocking against the plush grey cushions, daring himself to punch harder. He chipped a tooth and his cheekbones throbbed. He spat the chip out and punched himself again. He wasn't like anyone would remember the bruises anyway. He could beat himself black and blue and bloody, but he couldn't make himself forget. Chapter 5, Part 2 Where's his memory? The Vote Uncle Marcus and Auntie Ida lived on the edge of Pevensey, in a fisherman's cottage facing the sea. Wes hated the melancholy bleakness of the shingle and the haunting laughter of the gulls. It was a nowhere place to him, a place you came to be forgotten. There was no one around when Cousin Layla parked the car, for once they were one of the first to arrive. Layla's terse messages had made it sound like she didn't want to pick him up from the station, which had surprised him. He wondered what he'd done this time. Layla Wend McVeigh had dressed more sombrely than usual on this occasion. She gave Wes a withering glance, cornflower blue eyes from the McVeigh side, so unlike the family brown, and he wondered if she felt out of place there. Ready? he asked her. Layla hadn't said a word to him the whole drive, and she only shrugged now. Wes was running out of topics on which to monologue. Layla got out of the car and wrapped her cardigan around her against a salty breeze, even though it was set to be another scorcher of a day. Wes followed suit. Lay, wait! She locked the car behind it without stopping, marching over the shingle in sturdy cork wedges, shaking her head. I can't help being her brother. It's not about that, Layla finally shot at him, coming to an abrupt stop. Her pretty face was distorted in a snarl. She had a vague resemblance to their grandmother in this light, the same cast to the jaw when she set it firmly in anger, but the McVeighs had bright blue eyes and a strawberry tint to their hair, distanced from the other branches by a few generations of outbreeding, until they were more human than human passing. Some when McVeighs barely changed at all, but Layla had been one of the lucky ones. Her glory, as some of them called it, had broken through just before her twenty-first birthday, making her the pride of that branch's generation. "'I saw the soothsayer the other day. After what he fucking said to me. Is that true? It had better not be true.' A cold hand clutched Wes's chest. "'What did he say to you?' The apples of her cheeks burned. She stopped, her whole frame quivering. Her prehensile tongue darted out from under her top, thrashing at the air before whipping back into her navel. Wes took a guess, hoping to mitigate the damage. Look, that was years ago. It was only the once, and we were kids, you know. I wasn't with you just to make him jealous, if that's what... She stared at him, her increasingly slack-jawed incredulity indicating he was not only barking up the wrong tree, but had pissed in the wrong garden. He swallowed, scratching at the back of his neck. Shit... Layla's eye twitched twice, her only movement. In her shimmering skirt and uncharacteristically high neckline, she was a frozen statue of beige and mint green, like a gorgon or a plump-breasted demigoddess. "'Are you actually staring at my tits? I'm up here, arsehole!' He dragged his eyes up to her face, which was a far less pleasant view. She was furious. 
Who broke into Uncle Barry's practice and nicked a load of ketamine last month, Wesley? Oh, that. Hasn't he got CCTV? Wes didn't show up well on video. She punched him, right in the arm. Pain spasmed up his bicep and pins and needles broke out in a prickling web. Jesus! You fucking thief! You rotten, junky bastard! She flew at him, prehensile tongue of many talents going for his throat. He tried to fend it off, the teeth slashing at his skin, attempting to wrap around his neck and puncture the jugular. You don't steal from your own fucking family, you arsehole! What the fuck is wrong with you? He couldn't fight off the tongue and her fists, delivering a hard rain of blows. Wes had very little padding on his lanky body, and every hit glanced painfully off a bone. He doubled over under her assault, the lashing tongue slashing and cutting at his arms and scratching his plastic mask to pieces. Whoa, whoa, lay, come on. I never, I never, honest, he's chatting shit. He's a fucking soothsayer. He tells the fucking truth. That's his fucking job. She kicked him hard, aiming for his groin, but he managed to twist away and she caught him right on the knee. Wes fell back onto the stones, losing his balance as the kick took his leg out from under him. Uncle Marcus was running out of the house with heavy, pounding strides, a juggernaut and a full steam. Layla, leave him be. Layla kicked him again, this time in the kidneys, and stopped, panting. Wes curled up, aching all over and laughing with relief. The laugh was a mistake. Before Uncle Marcus could grab hold of her, Layla kicked him again, square in the back of his thigh. Pain shot through his leg. Wes howled in agony and laughed and swore into the shingle. Uncle Marcus yanked her back so roughly that she nearly fell herself, and Wes was heaved to his feet, legs buckling under him. "'Get a grip on yourself, boy!' the head of the family snarled in his ear. "'You're a representative of your generation, foreman help us. What's this about?' "'He's the one who stole from Uncle Barry,' Layla said, pointing at him in livid accusation. "'I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't. Not today. But he's a... "'He deserves everything he gets. Who steals from their own family?' "'You stick whatever you want up your nose or in your arm or in any orifice of your choice,' Uncle Marcus said, one massive hand around the back of Wes's neck, giving him a teeth-rattling shake. "'But don't let me hear about you stealing from family again, or there won't be leniency.' Layla, get in the house and help your aunts. He threw Wes forwards, pitching him back down onto the shingle. Wes threw his hands out to stop himself sprawling flat on his face and fell afoul of something sharp. He righted himself, palms bleeding and embedded with dirty sand. If I ever hear you've had your grubby fingers in the family pot again, or anywhere else they don't belong, I'll have to tear you apart myself, even if it is from a Wen McVeigh. His uncle growled, tentacle beard wriggling with displeasure. Maridins they might be, but I can't be seen to be biased. Do you understand? Wes nodded, straightening his mask. Yes, sir, Uncle Marcus, sir. Cheeky little shit, Uncle Marcus muttered, waiting until he was sure Layla was out of earshot. He clapped Wes on the back. Thought you said you wouldn't get caught. Soothsayer dropped me in it, Wes said. Uncle Marcus rolled his eyes. Well, it was a fine theory. George was supposed to deal with him, but a little birdie told me that didn't happen either. They watched Layla slam the front door of the cottage behind her as a few other cars started pulling up as close to the house as they could. No, I heard the same. Wes rubbed his knee and thigh, wincing. Cool, Layla's got a good punch. She's still kickboxing, is she? He caught his uncle's unimpressed expression and shrugged. 
Look, I gave you a good cut of the profit, didn't I? I won't do it again, not unless you ask. I wouldn't do it just for me, you know that. I'm a family man. You're a selfish piece of shit, his uncle said matter-of-factly. Where's scowled? Yeah, well, cash is cash. I've got two partners to look after. This earned him a seal-like bark of amusement from his enormous relative. You got yourself a cushy little nest with two human posh kids who'll pay for everything, Uncle Marcus corrected, deep brown eyes twinkling. You're a lazy, good-for-nothing little tosser, that's what you are, Wesley Edward Porter. You've got no ambition, no drive, no work ethic. You're a funny sod, I'd be genuinely sorry to see you go, but if you're not on that list of hers, I'll eat my waders. He looked him up and down. Look, if the Wenmacvays push this, I'll have to give them what they want. You know that. Maybe you can sweet-talk your Uncle Barry. At the mention of the list, Wes was abruptly reminded why he was there. It eclipsed even the threat of Uncle Barry's inevitable wrath. He moistened his lips. How do you think the vote will go? It came out croakier than he'd intended. Uncle Marcus shrugged. Do I look like our soothsayer? Wes took in his barrel-chested uncle, resplendent in thick-soled boots, old brown trousers patched at the knees, sturdy braces, and an off-white vest. Nah, too well-dressed. Uncle Marcus let out a belly laugh, and clapped Wes on the shoulder, causing his aching legs to buckle again. Right, in we go, let's get this over with. They joined the others trooping up to the cottage gate, Wes limping over the loose stones. He was determined to do the right thing by his sister— even if he was on the list. He couldn't say as much to Uncle Marcus, but that was his genuine intention. He told himself so, over and over, every day that week. He was going to vote not to kill her. His phone buzzed in his top pocket. He had an unread message from Hugo, the usual, I love you, have a good day, and a longer one from Charlie. He paused, nodding at his relations as they processed past him, levering himself onto the wall to answer them and turn his phone off. "'You coming?' Uncle Wayne rasped, string vest of living flesh pulsating over a skeletal torso. Wes jerked up. "'What? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be right there. Hurry up.' "'Shit, shit, shit.' He was the last now, the only one still outside. The door opened. Auntie Ida. "'Where's he? I think everyone's here now. Are you coming in?' He heard someone behind her say, "'Maybe he wants to abstain.' and he pocketed the phone, numb. No, I'm coming. Charlie needed him, needed to stare into his face, or she couldn't function. Had he really forgotten that when he was rehearsing his good intentions in the mirror, telling himself he would choose his sister's life over his partner's sanity? Or perhaps when he was dead and gone to the other place, the outside, wherever it was that his kind go, it would be as if his whole existence was erased, forgotten in a blink. Charlie would be cured, live her life without him, without a single memory of his imprint on her life. That, for some reason, made him feel worse. Hollow. A shadow of a thing. Yeah, coming. Hold the door. He switched on aeroplane mode and limped up the path as fast as he could and slipped in, adjusting his mask. The living room was packed, even with some of the elders manipulating space to make it seem bigger. The family were their true selves, appendages and unearthly flesh on display, gaping maws and coils dripping with excretions, a mass of humanoid and otherworldly flesh. Wes removed his mask and faded forgettably into position, the only one among them who could drive people to madness by his absence in their memory. 
given the choice, he'd have taken the coils. They'd be better off without me. I'm an aberration. Never should have existed. Uncle Marcus was droning on about how it was a serious matter, how the gathering was unprecedented, how important all this was. The soothsayer wasn't present. Then again he was meant to be neutral. The head of the family got the casting vote in the event of a tie. Someone piped up about tradition, Bill Shaw, of course, unimaginative to the last and believing he was strong enough to be untouchable. This was quickly countered. Tess Porter reasonably pointed out that, since Katie was only the clan's second thirteenth, tradition was a loose term in this case. Besides, Uncle Marcus added, this wasn't a vote for foiling fate, as no one could outrun their weird. Think of it as a temporary reprieve. There would be other batches of thirteen in time. Wes stood in silence throughout the debates. If it went Katie's way, if they let her live, she'd start to change perhaps as early as next year, and then she'd come for him. The thirteenth pruned the family tree, cut off the weak branches. He wasn't anything close to the clan's definition of strong. No. The more he thought about it, the more he was sure he'd be on the bloody list, and the weight of it began to suffocate him with a fug of warm, inhuman flesh pressed close together. Would Charlie remember him? Would Hugo? Would he be a gaping hole in their memories for ever? He couldn't bear it. The room was oppressive, thick with mucus and ooze. His back ached, his legs hurt. Uncle Marcus droned on and on. I need a break, I need a breather, I need to get out of here. I just need it all to go away. Those in favour of giving us a reprieve, just killing the girl? Wes reacted without thinking. He didn't even know he'd raised his hand until Uncle Marcus looked him in the eye, nodded, and counted him in. Fourteen. Wes dropped his arm, wide-eyed, a prickling of horror washing down his back. He'd voted against his sister. No one caught his eye. No one was looking at anyone else. Wes stared around the room and saw his own father on the far side as Uncle Wayne leaned back slightly. Their dear old dad had his hand up, staring straight ahead. Hate blazed in his belly, burning his lungs, pulsing a flush of rage over his neck. How could he stand there, calm as you like, that lean, mean face and mask of straightforward let's get this over with then, and vote for the death of his own daughter? It was, Wes knew, entirely in character. Look at yourself, Wesley Porter. You turned out just as bad. Wes couldn't take it any more. He pushed relatives out of the way and they let him through. The fresh air hit him with a bolt of sunlight, promising clarity. He made it to the garden wall, stumbling into the gatepost, and collapsed there with his head in his hands, knowing the eyes had it. The sun beat down on the back of his neck. A gull screamed at him in the distance. It was gone midday. He retrieved his cigarettes and lighter from his back pocket, lighting up and taking a steadying drag. If he had to die, let it be dramatic, let him be a hero, let him be something. He'd fight for Charlie too, for Hugo, for whatever they wanted to build, if they would only let him stay and be a part of it. Was that selfish? He didn't know. In an agony of indecision, Wes stumbled away down the beach, getting lost in the bleak sweep of the coastline, his head a mess, wiped of logic by the abrasive salt air.
Well, that's it for this episode and we have reached chapter six. So we will return next week with a strange meeting, which is uh, Wes and Katie. Oh, dear. Um, (laughs) um, So hopefully a week will be enough time to recover and I will see you next week. Bye now.